always good to be with you. And uh, we gather because he absolutely is uh, worthy to be praised. And we've had a bunch of fun stuff going on for our young people this summer. We got some fifth and sixth graders with Heather and, and some other adults that are taking off, I think, this afternoon. So please be praying for them. These are intended to be community building events where our young people get to experience the love of Christ. So be playing for those kids. We've got a former pastor with us this morning and his family, a guy named uh, David Bartosik. And you can tell he's no longer on staff because he was late to the service. <laughs> and you can tell what pastors do. Hey, when we're on vacation, yeah, we come in late. We sit in the back. That, that, that's, that's pretty much what we do. Well, we're continuing to look at uh, God being revealed ultimately through Christ, right? 33 years, 21 chapters in John, and then really focused on three days. When we get to the end of the text, John devotes a lot of time to, to, to those three days. And, and I told you, uh, I love quotes, I love, uh, I love language, and a few weeks ago I gave you a bunch of quotes from one of my favorite guys, Martin Luther King Jr., Smart guy. But there's all kinds of great quotes out there that I think can bring truth to our lives and help us. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. You must be the change you wish to see in the world. Tis better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. Got to have one sportsman in there. You miss 100% of the shots you never too true for those of us. And even guys that I disagree with a lot of what they think, every once in a while they come up with some good stuff. That which does not kill us makes us stronger. Now my deep conviction is these guys have found truth and where there's truth that's helpful, it's usually rooted in biblical ideas. But we're going to look at one of the most famous phrases I think that's out there in the world. I think a lot of people don't even know where it comes from. Who said it? But this last phrase is the one that we're going to try and pull apart today because as, as, as helpful as those other sayings might be, there's a profundity and a depth of truth to this one that is truly life-changing. Welcome to all you guys online too. Hope you're doing well wherever you're, uh, wherever you're joining us from. Here's what we're going to look at today. You will know the truth and the truth will set you I love those other quotes out there. There's lots of truth, and if it is helpful, usually it's rooted in some biblical ideas. But you'll want to know somebody that gives us truth through words and ideas that can change our lives, encourage us. Ah, Jesus. There's actually nobody better than Jesus at coming up with truth. Ah that can guide us in this life to find the joy and purpose that God intends. So picking up this ongoing conversation, Jesus is having with the Jews last week. Jesus is the light of the world. We're still going through that. And we're picking it up at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now that phrase is really well known. The context in which Jesus speaks that feels far less familiar to me, to most people, and maybe even churchgoers. 
You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, and yet you, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Father, I pray as we look at these words of your son. Father, we want to be free. We want to be free. We want to experience the fullness of freedom that comes through Jesus. So wherever we are in our spiritual journey today, we're still trying to figure out if, if Jesus is the guy or if we figured out he's the guy and he's the light, but that light is not shining as brightly as we would like. If we've experienced some of this freedom, but we still feel like there's more bondage in our life than we would like, I pray that you would help us to see this light and this freedom that's available in Jesus. I pray that we would leave here more free than we would arrive, than when we arrived. Ah, because you are moving in our minds and in our hearts to help us see Jesus more clearly and more fully. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So everybody wants to be free. Freedom is a word that is used all across our culture, I think used in all kinds of ways. Everybody wants to be free. You think the Ukrainians right now are looking for freedom? They're looking for freedom. Freedom is a word everybody wants to be free. And free is a great way to live. People should want to be free. But what's Jesus actually saying here today? We're going to pull this apart by looking at three basic questions. And the first one is, what is the truth? Because Jesus says, you'll know the truth. And then the truth will set you free. Well, what is the truth? Jesus again gives us this great quote. Now, this is the lobby in the CIA building in Washington, D.C. Thank you for laughing. And what I'm just trying to illustrate here is this phrase gets used in all kinds of contexts. Now, they're quoting the King James, Lord bless him. But you and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I'm not sure exactly how to take that in the CIA building. And I've heard this phrase used in numerous places. I read an article this week. I Googled it by a psychologist. Does the truth always make you free? And I'm not going into the details, but the, the psychologist argues, not necessarily. So what does it mean? And we want to pull apart what does Jesus mean when he says, and the truth will make you three. So I'm going to summarize this pretty quickly. I think this will be familiar to most of us, and there are layers to this. There are dimensions to us. But I want to lay the absolute foundation of what is the truth. It starts here. 
And I'm going to pull it apart as we go. But we're living in a world where people think they have the light and they think they have the truth and they don't get the primary foundation of the truth. God. That he exists, that he created everything out of nothing. And the truth is rooted and founded in the reality of who our God is. Is this unclear to anybody? This is the truth. Then we go to the truth. God created us in his image, and you guys, I hope this is familiar, we messed it up. And rather than recognizing God as the center of everything, you know who we like to be the center of everything? Us! We like to be in charge. We like to be in control. We like everybody to make a lot about us. We want them to look at us and go, oh, I am wonderful. In the text, he's going to talk about that as we're slaves. Now in the text, who's a slave? Absolutely every one of us. Because we didn't get the first point. And then Jesus, God sends his son into the world. He dies on the cross. He takes our stuff upon himself. And in this context, what does he do? He sets us free. Now, we're going to pull apart free from what? Because this phrase, just Google it. The way people use it, is it inappropriate? People are using this phrase not in the way Jesus meant it. I think there's a lot of truth in finding the truth in almost any area of life is good for us. But Jesus is using this phrase in a very specific way. So that's a summary of the truth. Everybody with me so far? So then how do we know that we know the truth? Because we're living in a world where pretty much everybody assumes they know the truth. Pretty much everybody assumes they have the light. So how do we know? As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 30. That's last week's text, how we end it. I want you to notice here, because John is setting up the big idea of this morning's text and next week's and the week after right here. So stay with me. This is big. And as he was saying those things about being the light of the world, many believed in him. Hallelujah. That's what happens when Jesus speaks. And so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, I love y'all. Please don't miss this. These words are specifically not for the folks that are rejecting Jesus. They're for those who to some degree, in some sense, are believing. You guys have heard me say, those of you who have been around here, I only have one fear. That somebody will stand before Jesus on judgment day and say, Lord, I'm ready to get in. And Jesus will say to him, hey, I don't really know you. 
and they'll say to Jesus, based upon what Todd told me, I thought I was good. It's the only fear I live with, only one. That's what this text is about. Many believed in Jesus. Jesus is talking to them. Now, we're going to pull this apart for three weeks because Jesus is trying to help people who believe in him help them understand whether or not they really do. Because Jesus' concern and John's concern as he records this, and I'm just going to tell you what most of Scripture is, there are people that aren't rejecting God but haven't really believed in him in the purest sense. That's the passion. Now, as I read the Bible... This idea is everywhere. This is the idea for the next three weeks. Jesus talking to people who believe in him. And he's trying to help them pull apart what genuine belief actually looks like. So Jesus said to the, those who believed in him, if. Now I should have put that in a flashing letters, right? Who's he talking to? Somebody yell it out real loud. Who's he talking to? Those who believed. If, I think it would have been way more encouraging if he had just said, oh, I'm so thrilled and I'm so happy and life is going to be great for you. Wouldn't have that been more encouraging? I'm not making this stuff up. To those who had believed in some way, shape, or form, to some degree, Jesus says to them, if you Abide. Now, we're going to pull this apart a little bit. If you abide, if you soak in, sit in, my word, singular. What he's doing here is summarizing all his words. You're not just going to pick and choose the pieces you like. But you're going to abide in everything that I say. You got to soak this up. Then you are truly my disciples. Now, there's a theology out there that's rampant in evangelicalism that, in my estimation, has no biblical justification. So, when I have opportunities from the text to point this out, I will. There's nowhere in the Bible it says, we become a believer, we become a child of God, and then later we get really serious about it, and then we become a disciple. That idea is just not biblical. Yeah, I'm a part of the family of God. I'm forgiven. I'm a child, but I don't actually live like a follower of Christ. I don't actually have to abide. If you abide, you are truly my disciples. And when we abide in his word, abide in that relationship with Jesus, then... Then you will know the truth. And then the truth will set you free. Now, let's just tell, let me just tell you, it's a lot easier to say a prayer, raise your hand in service, and then just live life having God in your back pocket. I mean, he's a part of our life, but he's really not that central. That's way easier. The risk 
I believe might be that we're actually, though, not his disciples and therefore not experiencing the freedom that he intends us to enjoy. Is it easier? <laughs> Does it free us? We abide in Jesus' word and we become disciples of Jesus and then we know the truth and we are set free. So what does it mean to abide? And I wrestled with this one all week, trying to describe what it abides. So I'm going to give you five characteristics, the best I can do. But I abide in my relationship with my wife. I abide in my relationship with my kids. And with my grandkids, it is so fun having four of them in Wisconsin out here. And I've already been to church once this morning. We watched the service from Bartosics back in Hillcrest. So uh, some of us are just a little more godly than others because I've already been to church. Let's just call it what it is. But when we talk about abiding, what is it? First of all, we treasure its truthfulness. I'm going to pull apart this a little more. But this is the foundation it is the true way to view the world. What's the first component of the truth? What did I suggest? God. That's it. If people don't hold to that, they will never see the truth that Jesus is talking about. We treasure its truthfulness. We celebrate its life-giving power because we look at these words and the truth about who Jesus is and what he says through those words. It changes our life forever. We enjoy its sustenance. Jesus has talked about. I'm going to give you a bread that will satisfy for you ever, satisfy you forever. I am the living water. You'll never get thirsty. So even after we come to treasure Jesus, we got to keep soaking up his word. we got to keep soaking up him because this is what sustains us. This is what nourishes us. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but life is stinking hard. So how do we get fed to deal with that? It's abiding in Jesus. It's abiding in his word. Prize its worth. I really like all those quotes I put up there. I like all the quotes I gave you a few weeks ago from Martin Luther King Jr. I think they can be helpful. But they don't bring the value of who Jesus is and what he speaks to us. And then we delight in its freedom because once we start abiding in Jesus and in his word, we live with this freedom that we never knew before. And we look at that bondage in which we used to live and we can't go back. As tempting as it may be. So how would I define abide? It's this continuous, joyful pursuit of Jesus and his word. One of the things that breaks my heart is new believers and they come to faith and they're so excited about Jesus, they're so excited about consuming his word, and then they become less excited over time. 
Now, let me just suggest to you, if that's how I felt about my wife, it would have not been good. Abiding is, I've tasted this living water. I've eaten of this bread that nourishes and satisfies. I've got to keep eating that bread because it feeds my soul. It feeds my life. So the third question, can you believe we're to the third question already? And I know there's, well, there's not that many. Maybe two of you thinking he's going to be done quickly. John, what are the odds of that? Not good. And now we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about what does it mean to be free. But those of you who thought we were going to be done early, I appreciate your optimism. Don't get lost there. So they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, have any of you looked at the Old Testament? Had they ever been in slavery? So here's, I'm pretty convinced what they're saying. You're talking about us being spiritually free, but we're descendants of Abraham. Now, we're going to look at it more in next week's text. That's going to be one of the evidences of their slavery. That they think their physical heritage gives them one step up in this fight against the essence of slavery. The Egyptians for 430 years, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, they lived, if you go back to the Old Testament, because they weren't that obedient, they spent a good share of their history in bondage. And now they got Rome running their country when Jesus says this. So when they say, how can you say we're not free, they are smart enough to get this. They understand Jesus is talking about spiritual freedom. They've just equated it with their ethnicity. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to to you, everyone who practices, and I love this translation there, uh, uh, it, it's just the verb tense conveys it in the Greek, but we go everyone who sins and then we get into this debate where you come to Christ, you're never supposed to sin and all that stuff. No. Everyone who practices sin, and here's what I think Jesus means. Everyone who engages in sin and continues to say, it's okay. There's not a problem with it. It's just life. This is, this is not bad for me. I'm living in a way opposed to what God says, but huh, no problem. Everyone who practices sin and continues to be in that sin is a slave to sin. And here again, he's pulling apart. the. Now, who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Oh, yeah, believers. Those who are in some state of belief. Just wish he said, we're all going to be okay. Just pray this prayer when you're little and you'll be fine. It's not what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. Now notice where he goes. The slave works for the owner. He doesn't have the privileges of a son. But the son remains a son 
forever has the privileges of being a son. And I think Jesus is using this in two ways here. The general principle, slaves are slaves. He is trying to suggest to them now they're slaves to sin and not a son. The general principle is that sons are sons forever. Double reference though here, I think he's referencing himself as well. So if the son, and you know this one, notice this one capitalized, the translators again looking at this and going make unmistakably in their right, Jesus is referencing himself. If the son, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Hallelujah, amen. Because Jesus is trying to suggest there is nothing better in this world than being set free by him. Oh, how good is that? Wouldn't you just love to end here, have a song, and go home and no man? Not where Jesus finishes it. And we got two big more paragraphs in the next two weeks. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. I know you are physical descendants of him. I get it. So am I, Jesus would say. Yet you're given evidence that you're really not abiding in my word. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Now again, I think speaking here hyperbolically, because some of his words have found a place in them, because John said they believe. So it's some of their words have connected. They're just not abiding in all of what he says. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now, there's a famous text that Johnny's going to deal with next week. I don't want to give away Johnny's sermon, but these are guys that John has said they believe. And who is Jesus going to call their father next in next week's chapter? Johnny, you can't say it. You do know the answer, do you? Okay, he does know the answer. Who is he going to call their father next week? Guys, I love you. I love you. I love you. John starts this by telling us some believed, and to those who believed, Jesus says these words. He's not trying to damn them. He's trying to help them understand and experience the fullness of the freedom that comes with Jesus. So what does it mean to be free? It means to not be a slave to sin. So what's the foundation of the control to sin? An inaccurate worldview. Here's the foundation of people who are still slaves to sin. They don't know the truth. What's the biggest piece of the truth they don't get? Second piece? Don't want to admit we have a problem. As we go on in the next, week's, next couple of weeks' text, we're going to see that Jesus is going to point that out. It starts by recognizing you have a problem. Just let me tell you a general truth about anybody who wants to get any kind of counseling for anything. You can't get better until you take responsibility for yourself. You just can't. A lot of people in relational issues and challenges and they're fighting with their spouse, whoever, and they always want to blame the other person. And I'm not saying that other person doesn't have some responsibility, but it ain't going to get better until all of us look here and go, I have a problem that needs to be addressed. And Jesus sets us free. Now, I'm going to pause here for just, ah, pause. You know I don't pause, right? I change subjects. I take rabbit trails. But I, do, I, do I pause? I don't really pause. And again, I, my wife says, don't you ever need to breathe more? You say so many words. 
Most of the world lives here, still slaves to sin. We're in a culture where the vast majority of folks are in bondage. So the truth which is foundational to us is not foundational to them. Now we are going to always stand for the truth of who God is and for the way that it has implications for our life choices. But we live in a world where we're trying to help them experience freedom, the foundation of which is God. They see us as taking away their freedom. That's why they get so, and here's evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life by the verb I'm going to choose here. It's what ticks them off so much. Because their view of freedom is you just do whatever you want. Abortion, gender identity, just keep going. They believe they have the light, they believe they have the truth. They think we live in darkness and we're trying to rob their freedoms. Because I think sometimes we just get so angry at them because their view makes no sense and then we respond in a much less Christ-like way. They think they have the truth. They think we're living in darkness. Now, are we going to stand for the truth, guys? But they're not the enemy. And I'll tell you, in the last several years, I've mentioned it before, and I'll probably keep mentioning it. As I look on the Internet, as I read articles, it feels like to me a lot of evangelicals are treating them like the enemy. They're slaves that need to be freed. And that's part of the privilege we have. But they have a completely different worldview. And this is the foundation of their being slaves. Then there's another dimension to having an inaccurate worldview. And I think this one probably I'm going to try and deal with the Jews in the text and maybe us here today. Where we got the truth intellectually and we can affirm it intellectually We just don't always want to live by it. This is more the target audience that Jesus is addressing these comments to, not the first one. We practice approved sins. We can acknowledge a lot of stuff out there, but materialism, not that big a deal. Gluttony, not that big a deal. Gluttony, what's the opposite side of gluttony? Those who are so fascinated with with being the perfect body and looking beautiful. Uh, Again, which side of that spectrum do I struggle with? I mean, look at me. (laughs) Look at the way I dress. This is not a hard question. Work. Finding our identity in work. Being workaholics. Now, none of these things are bad. God gave us stuff to enjoy. Materialism, having stuff is not the problem. It's when in our heads we believe it will provide more joy than God intends it to. 
food. Do I like food? Am I still tempted to believe it will provide more joy than it does? I guarantee you when I have my heart attack, which is pretty much I just go a guarantee. It's not if, it's when. I probably will learn something from that, I'm hoping, and, 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 and do better. Materially, we've got all these things, uh, and I've mentioned it before, entertainment. I think for some of us, the question is, do we abide more in Jesus' word or in Netflix? Or sports, or whatever it is. And uh, this is more what we face. And then don't love. Love was a really big deal to Jesus. And that's why these last several years as I've been watching the media and evangelicals out there, whose worldview I share, but just angrily trying to promote it and treating those who are out there who disagree with us on the worldview, rather than treating them as slaves, treating them as enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. I don't think it was just a trite phrase that he meant to put on our coffee table or on our wall. And when he says enemies, I think he's talking about those who deliberately want to harm us. How's it look? Gossip. Gossip's not that big a deal. Holding grudges. Well, Todd, you don't know how badly that person hurt me. Maybe not. Oh, I have a right to can hold to be angry at those person. I know Jesus forgave me. He forgave me all my sins. But Todd, you don't know how badly they hurt me. He is not disappointed that I am still holding it against them. I think we need to look at some of his word about that. Abiding in him. And I don't mean to diminish the depth of any pain. But what Jesus is talking about, the freedom that comes with abiding in him and being connected to him. So what's slave to sin? Whether we have a completely inaccurate worldview or whether we're just not abiding by some of the truth, it's believing that some things and people will provide more happiness than Jesus. Now, I gave you that list under this category, materialism and all those stuff. Where do you think that list came from? Any idea? Take a guess. Where do you think I came up with this list? I'm preparing my sermon and I go, huh, how would I illustrate this? No, no conjecture? Pardon? The Bible is good? I just go, what do I still wrestle with? This is not as complicated as you think. You understand, I just preach a sermon that I think Jesus has for me, and I hope some of you are close. Stuff, people thinking much of me, lots of places to go with this. Slaves to sin. It's the control, and then it's the consequence. Being a slave to sin is disastrous. So how many folks in the world, when they entered the world, were slaves to sin? 
everybody except Adam and Eve when they entered, and then they messed it up for everybody. So I do plan on looking at Adam and Eve when I get to heaven and talking to them. You know, you think you couldn't have done a little better? You complicated the world for all of us. Thanks. Anyway, slaves to sin. And so what's freedom? Freedom from the control and freedom from the consequence. Free from sin. Embracing intellectually and emotionally the truth. God, we are slaves and Jesus sets us free. Not just understanding that in our heads. And this is for all those of you who were raised in the church. We got it intellectually. My greater encouragement, let's make sure we get it emotionally. I told you I was about 23, 24 before I actually got it in my heart. And that's when I became a disciple. That's when I finally experienced freedom. The desire and the ability to not only identify sin, but to not sin. Because we have discovered Jesus as the infinitely more valuable treasure. Yeah, and there's a theology out there. Oh, you got to stop sinning. You got to stop sinning. How many of you have heard you got to stop sinning? Let me see your hands. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But I think we emphasize by just do it, by just stop it. Let me tell you, I am 63. Just stopping sinning has never, ever worked for me. Ever. What worked is finding something better. When I was a kid, there was a McDonald's on Beach Boulevard down there close to the PCH. My favorite meal was McDonald's. My grandkids, their favorite meal is still McDonald's. Then I got older and I found stuff better. I liked dating. I thought girls were fun as a teenager. You know, again, the Christianity I grew up with was stop liking girls. I never actually was able to do that. Then I met this girl. Her name at the time was Julie Danielson. I found something better than my desire for all these other girls dissipated. That's what being set free in Jesus is. Now, does it mean we'll never struggle with sin ever? Go back to that, those who practice sin. I'm fighting food. I've been fighting food for about 30 years. It may not be evident to you, but I'm still in the fight. And as I talk about this and make fun of it, practicing sin would be saying, it doesn't matter what I eat. It's a sign for me that I'm not finding as much treasure in Jesus as I should. I'm looking for food to satisfy that. I'm looking for stuff to satisfy that. Food, stuff is good. He wants us to enjoy it. He just doesn't want us to value it too much. And abide, it's that continuous, joyful pursuit of Jesus and his word. Are we going to wrestle with sin? We are. But we got this power in us to overcome it. And this isn't facetious. Without Jesus in my life, I wonder how big I would be. 
Don't hear me excusing this. I'm in the fight. Believe it or not, I'm fighting. That and all those other things I listed and a bunch of other things. <laughs> we got the power to fight. We got the power to overcome. So I'm going to encourage us today, find a few minutes. Thank God for giving us the truth. <sighs> Guys, particularly those of us that have enjoyed it for a long time, I'm afraid we don't always appreciate we have the truth of how life works. People suggest once in a while we don't know the meaning of life. We do. Enjoy God and help other people enjoy him. That is the purpose of life. So let's start by just thanking God for giving us the truth and then for those of us who have recognized it, for moving in our minds and hearts to see it. That is a miracle, guys, because we're living in a world where very few people have the truth, at least as Jesus is talking about it. Thank God for the truth and thank God for setting us free. We were at breakfast yesterday talking with some guys, and there was one guy we've gotten to know. I've told you we go down to the beach and got in a conversation with four gentlemen, and one guy who doesn't know the truth at all asked me if I believed in reincarnation in part of our conversation. And he was an advocate, you might guess. Why I love these conversations, they keep reminding me of how good God has been to me in revealing the truth. When I hang with people that don't have it, my heart breaks. Now, you do understand from the conversation we had, I tend to follow it up with questions. <laughs> I think implied in my questions is that he didn't actually have the truth. <laughs> and given his answers to the questions... No. Man, we have been set free in Jesus. So I'm going to encourage you to thank God for the truth. Thank God for setting us free. And then let's do an assessment because I think we can move forward from here wherever we are. If you're thinking about treasuring Christ, here's what Jesus says is conversion. And those people who say you just have to say these words and you're good, it's not actually what Jesus said. He said, I want you to eat my flesh, drink my blood. You got to be all in. You got to abide in me. What does my abiding look like? Make an assessment. Now, you have sermons like this, and where do people typically go? Oh, no, I'm a failure. No, don't go there. Let's make an assessment. How am I doing? Because this is the key to being free. Nobody's going to beat themselves up. That's from Jesus through me. But we're going to grow. What's it look like? Where am I looking for more freedom? How many of you are still wrestling with sin? May I see your hands? And those of you who didn't raise them are either cowards or self-deceived. But this is all done in love. 
Where would you like more freedom? I got lots of places. I don't know about you, but I battle some things that are more detrimental to my life than food. So food gets a little less of my attention because it's still an issue. But I got bigger ones that when I don't overcome them are more detrimental to my soul. I got a bunch. But I got the freedom in Christ and I am overcoming and it is fabulous. And when I sin, do I ever beat myself up? No. God looks at me and sees the righteousness of Christ. That would be stupid. When God sees me as righteous because of my faith, that would be stupid. I just go, Lord, I want more freedom. I want less bondage. And then who encourages you to abide? The hope is if you're married, it's your spouse. But if you can figure out who it is that helps you abide more in Jesus, here's my encouragement. Buy them lunch, coffee, whatever it takes to get with them. Who are those people? That you look at their life and you go, man, they are connected to Jesus. And when I hang with them, I want more Jesus. And if you're a parent, you want your kids to treasure Christ, here's the most important thing you can do. Abide in Jesus and allow them to see the benefits and the freedom that come in abiding in him. We look at them as these empty glasses. We've got to fill up with all this theology. <laughs> Don't ever hear me understating the value of seeing God correctly. But you want your kids to love Christ? Have a vibrant, free life yourself. The key to which is inviting him. And then the last one. Let's ask God to keep, help us, help others experience the freedom that comes with knowing the truth. We're in a period of time, I've told you before, where I never feel like this has been more of a challenge than today. To stand in love. Our culture, more than any time in my life, is more obviously promoting values which are in opposition to our view of the truth. So lovingly standing is more complicated and more difficult today. They're not the enemy. They're in bondage. And God put us here to help them experience the freedom we've enjoyed. Because guys, there is nothing like truly being set free in Jesus. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for giving us the truth in Jesus. Thanks for setting us free. We're in this world and we're still wrestling. I'm still wrestling, Father, with the attraction of things that tempt me into believing they'll provide more satisfaction, more joy, more pleasure than you intend. Father, I pray for more of your power, more of your strength. I pray that for me, and I pray it for all my brothers and sisters here. Our prayer is that you will empower us, that you will enable us to live truly free. Have the freedom to not sin. To have the freedom to find the greatest joy that comes in being connected with you and loving, with you, loving you. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your son.